Hello, welcome to the Plus Future podcast with me, James Napulsing. You're going to get the chance to be a fly on the wall while I coach some top leaders and celebrities. I invite you to join the coaching safe space and see how the struggles relate to your own lives and how you can overcome them. You'll be going into the conversation after I've set out the main coaching ethical ground rules. Let's get right in. Gareth Malone, welcome to the Plus Future podcast. For people who don't know you in places such as where I am in Southeast Asia, could you just tell us a bit more about yourself? Uh, so my name is Gareth. I am a broadcaster in the UK. I'm a musician and I have for the last, gosh, 15, 17 years, I've been working on British television making series for with people who sometimes haven't sung before who haven't uh, sung in choirs who haven't sung in public and I'm sort of coached them through the experience of singing together and sometimes in front of huge numbers of people and uh, in high profile events and that has sort of been the focus of my work for the last yeah last sort of 20 years almost. So you're a creative for the last 20 years you've worked on TV you're in the public eye, you help people, you essentially do what I do, you coach them. And it sounds like you're trying to build their confidence by making them perform in public arenas, for example. And I know that you're a household name in the UK. Yeah. And as this is a podcast for the listeners who can't see, I can see behind you a bright, shiny BAFTA, which is a British Academy uh, Film and Television Award. Yes, I've just kept that in the, uh, yeah, just in the shot. There it is. It's in the shot. You, you can all see it. That's good. I'll take it out again. Wonderful. So let's get right into the coaching session. What topic would you like to discuss today or what bump in the road are you trying to overcome? Well, I think, um, you know, life is full of bumps, isn't it? Uh, especially as a creative, because you're sort of married to the idea that, um, you know, your whatever whatever whims or whatever your creative desire uh, um, decrees is, is the route you're going to follow uh, so and it's always been like that for me I think since I was since I was very young uh, and I think what I've what I've struggled with or found that I've a constant point of negotiation for me is what I am in the public versus what I would like to be and where I you know where I the sort of work I'd like to be doing so to make it more simple, I've been known as a choir master. And that was the first series I did. I did a job as a choir master. This is in 2005. That's a very long time ago now. And it was one little aspect of the work that I was doing at the time. Um, I was running a couple of choirs. That's how the television company found me. And that's how I was then sort of defined in my work. And I, you know, I did a reasonable job. And as you very kindly pointed out, we won a BAFTA for that first series and the second one did well as well and, and so on. So I became, in a very narrow definition in some, some people's minds, you know, the choir master, which is fine. That's great. And, you know, it's, um, I would never knock that. That's been really, really useful. And it's given me um, a career and lots of amazing opportunities. However, I was already at that time working in composition and working with orchestras and wanting to do more more creative work more yeah more writing more kind of a, a broader portfolio of stuff so it's a very long answer to your question but and um, i think that sort of hit a moment of not exactly crisis but I, I really started to feel like i need to shift this in about 2012 13 where I really became well-known um, in this country, in, in the UK, really, really well-known for a very high-profile project with military uh, wives. And that was, that was fantastic. But I did keep thinking, I really want to be like, making records and I want to be doing my own stuff, I want to be writing my own music. And so I think uh, for the last eight years, I've been uh, shifting. I mean, you can see me sat in the studio. I mean, shifting towards towards that sort of definition of myself, I guess. Um, and I think that, yeah, it's a constant process, I think, creativity. It's a constant process of sort of asking yourself questions like, what should I be doing today? What's the next step in the road? You know, trying to kind of, it's triage, I think it's like triage, you know, <laughs> constantly working out what is the most important 
project for me to be doing because I think a lot of people have a job and they go and somebody else is maybe decreeing what their work should be. No one's really decreeing what I should be doing, especially now. Um, maybe in the first few years I would have a project and it would be run by somebody else. But now I definitely feel like I've just got to decide. So that that comes with its own pressures and its own, you know, you have to listen to your inner voice and and work out what it's saying to you and whether it's right or not. So if I could just summarise what I'm getting from you, it sounds as though you're essentially struggling. Fundamentally, it's what your identity is. And you mentioned the word negotiation. It sounds like you've got this inner voice and you're trying to navigate who you are because you've been pigeonholed very early on in your career as a choir master. But as you said, that's just one tiny part of you and it's a continual shifting process. At the moment, it sounds like you do have autonomy to control what part of the Gareth the public sees but you're struggling to navigate that space. Yeah, I, th- I think that's I think that's fair. I don't know pigeonhole. It, 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 it's like a fixed moment television because you know television. You make a series and and then everybody watches it and they're already by the time it goes out they're watching the old version of you because you've gone through that experience. You've had it. You've learned and you've moved on. And so it's kind of strange because I get I would get people especially in my early days people would come up to me and tell me the story of what they'd seen on television they say oh hey gareth you're that guy and do you know what you did you went into that school and you got people singing it. and it was amazing because they didn't have any confidence before and then you told them this and now they can sing really well <laughs> and i go yeah that's right i was there it was a very strange relationship that, that you have with people in the in the public because they're already watching something you've done and they're watching it, the version of what you've done that's that's sort of been defined not necessarily by me, but by somebody else who's sort of edited it. So it's not that I'm sort of railing against that. I'm just aware of it. It's a kind of te- it's a constant tension in yeah, I suppose in my identity as well. And for anyone who you know is in the public eye, it's you know it's great. It's a great thing to be in the public eye. I'm not. I, I wouldn't want to complain about it. But it is something that you're constantly aware of. You know, I walk out the door and I'm aware that there might be somebody who's who sees me, who has, and I don't know which percent, you know, I don't know how how well they know my work. There can be anything from, oh, there's that boring guy who does choirs. I've never watched his stuff. But I, I it's got the word choir in it, so he's probably, like, probably works in a cathedral. And those those conceptions, preconceptions, and all the way through to, I've watched every single series. I, you know, I've been on, I've been to your tours. I've... I, I follow you on Instagram, you know, so it can be anything and you never know who they are because you they always have the advantage over you in a way. Who we are is a negotiation for everyone, isn't it? But I think the the, the pressures of public public life uh, are very particular. And I think it's something I think about a lot is how to expand what I'm doing. Yeah, and just sort of be given permission to do the things that I want to do and have the same i suppose i suppose what i would really like is the same kind of recognition for all the elements of my work that i had for this initial success so you mentioned when you interact with the public there are two things the first is the time aspect they're seeing an historical version of you that's sort of been out there long ago you've moved on and when they come and talk to you they mention the old version of you And the second part is the moulded version of you that's been made by the production company. But you acknowledge that you like fame. It's a good thing, but people's perceptions of you isn't aligned to who you actually are. And it sounds like there's a lot more that you want to do. You mentioned the word permission there. Could you just expand on that? What do you mean by the word permission? The permission I mean to do the other bits of so be it songwriting or i've been recently been writing a musical doing other work other than creating choirs out of people who can't sing already and i think that i needed to take firstly the people i was working with secondly the broadcaster and thirdly the public along on that journey with me and i think i have um but I don't think it's it's kind of all the way there. And I did that 
partly out of listening to myself and really knowing that just you know, teaching people to sing an Adele song was not going to creatively sustain me for the next 30 years. And also it was really, it would ultimately become very boring to people watching. It's got a limited shelf life, you know. I mean, British television has a, a very short attention span in some ways, which I think is a good thing. Like creatively, I think we see something, we like it, and we don't do 24 series of it. We do one or two and then they move on. You know, The Office being a great example of what, two or three series and, and then people move on. And I think that's a very... British way of, of being creative. Yeah, so I've been looking for a long time to kind of expand that work, I guess. So you're searching for other things to do that align with the real Gareth. And it sounds like the public's perception of Gareth is not the same. You mentioned how the British creative process is quite a transient thing in the television world, for example. And for you, that's a good thing because you're constantly evolving. So with all of that background, what would you like to leave this conversation today with Gareth? It's interesting to be able to speak to. I mean, you've obviously had you know your own career-changing moment recently, and I think it's interesting to speak to somebody else who's you know had had a an epiphany. It's just it's not something I talk to people a lot about. I don't often talk about it publicly. I think because I don't know. I, I the the answer to your question is I don't really know. Um, I don't know exactly what it is I'm looking for, and I'm sort of working out exactly where it is I want to be in ten years. I, and I don't know if you can answer that in the next fifteen minutes. But I think that's my my sort of current drive is to find out who I'm going to be when I'm sixty and what my last major projects are going to be. I think that's that's really what I'm working towards. And delighted to you know have your thoughts on it. I suppose, you know, I'm 47 this year, so I've got, what, let's say 20 years of, of my creative um, you know, professional life, maybe a bit more if I'm lucky, and I want to make sure those really count. I've done some really great projects that I'm really proud to be involved in, and I don't want to just keep knocking those things out. I want to do some things that are surprising and new and define the next 20 years, because I think that's what will... I don't know, maybe it's maybe it's my age. Thoughts turn to legacy. And I definitely think that as you hit the mid 40s, uh, for me, I've I feel less like I want to do projects at the behest of other people. I want them to be self-generated. And actually, the pandemic has given me time to, to think about that. And I think the best work that I've done over the last few years has been self-generated. So the like saying that I went, the prison project that I did, I went, went and worked in a prison and, and I had sort of said, I would like to go and do that. And so I think that, that kind of, that inner spark then is there because you're not like a gun for hire, you're, it's a self. I, if I don't connect emotionally with the project, basically there's, I, I try, I mean, I, I don't really enjoy it. I'm someone who's very emotionally driven and I, I need to be passionate about what I'm doing. And so, yeah, I'm just, I think I'm just sort of working out what... I, know, I think I know what I want to be doing, the area, you know, I know I want to be writing, I know I want to be working with artists as well as, you know, regular people. I know that I love working in communities and in interesting pressured situations like the prison or like the project I did at the school next to Grenfell Tower. I know that those things are still going to be important, but I don't, you know, I'm sort of waiting for the right things to come along. And so I suppose I'm just in a little bit of a... I don't know, a holding pattern, I guess, at the moment. We're just waiting for the waiting for inspiration to strike. It's a strange one and it's very hot at the moment. So sort of walking like I'm walking slowly through the park, stroking my chin, thinking, right, what is what is the next killer move? So what I'm hearing is you're in this waiting space, it's a scoping space. You're exploring, you know there's a bigger picture out there, you know where you want to go to, but you haven't finalised the granular details and you don't know how this is all going to play out. So at the end of this conversation, it sounds like we won't know. We can get some ideas together to help you on that path though. And let's delve a bit more about what you mean by legacy, because it sounds like you said when the weather's fine, you like strolling around parks, stroking your chin trying to work out what you want to leave behind for your family and your fans. So let's get in there. You mentioned you like community projects and you like working in pressurised environments, but there's a lot more to you. What more is there that we haven't explored so far? I think that 
it has begun to homogenize or coalesce rather. Uh, I think there was a point eight years ago where I, I was very narrowly defined on television. I think that I've started to kind of, you know, I've, I've done tours, I've done some CDs, I've done more compositional based projects. I feel like that is an ongoing like you don't just get well you will know this as a you know visual artist you don't just get good at something like that by saying I want to get good at this I, you know you have to work at it you have to make mistakes and I suppose I've kind of tried to do that over the last few years and sort of bring that into the public arena so I guess I just want to keep bashing away at that doing more writing more projects that are more creative, more performance, more being on stage, more singing, kind of a, just a, a kind of broader range. I think, you know, I'm part part of the way there, but I feel, I do, I do still feel that tension we talked about earlier. So with your permission, Gareth, I want to challenge you a bit there. Early in the conversation, you said you want to talk about legacy and other things that you haven't done before. But what you've just told me now seem to be expanded versions of the things that you have done before. So to what extent do you actually want to branch out and do something new and creative? I think it's for me, it's about working with, you know, other people who are I think probably that that's a big shift because I've been doing a lot of work on my own. Um, although I've been inside of television, I've been doing it's it's pretty much me kind of generating everything so I'm very keen to work with other other collaborators and that's something I've kind of started to really miss in those in my early years to what extent do I want to do I think it's about doing more of what I'm doing but doing it better and doing it deeper and having you know and I feel like as a creative you've just got to constantly justify that I, you know I have to justify it to myself you know I have to come out here to my studio some days with no particular project and make something you know and kind of and I feel like I have to make every day in order to kind of justify I don't know my existence <laughs> if you like my creative existence so um and then you know to my family and to the work to the, to the wider world like this is what I'm now doing and yeah, so I I don't think it's that I want to go off and bungee jump with Elon Musk or anything, but I I feel like I want to get better at working, and I'm I'm not always entirely sure what that means. I sort of know it when I when I see it and know the projects that appeal when I see them. I don't know. I suppose I'm like in a way like an actor waiting for the play to come along, you know, just sort of waiting to see exactly what what is the next thing that's going to fire me up. So I'm seeing a conflict and I'm seeing a pattern. The conflict is you're looking for autonomy and to control things. But you just mentioned the word expectation. It sounds like you're living up to other people's expectations. And to me, that's the conflict. That's the first part. And the second part is that you're waiting. But again, you mentioned autonomy. So it sounds like you do want to act, but you can't because you're waiting for things to fall from the sky. I don't I don't know if it's quite that. I mean, I think that my career has been a mixture of, you know, finding things that are interesting and pursuing them. But sometimes things that come into, you know, the universe does deliver up these things. You know, sometimes I'll get an email and I'll go, that's my next project. So there is a bit of that that I'm waiting for. You know, that like to use a clear example, the Grenfell project, you know, that, that happened because that terrible tragedy happened and then the school contacted me and I said yes I would really like to do that and off we went and I had a creative drive immediately from getting that email and and sort of imagining what the project might be so there's a bit of that and I am I am also generating you know writing projects and working with artists as well and I suppose it's you know it's a sort of reputational isn't it it's a, it's a hard one when you've got a particular there's a particular public perception of you and a reputation as doing as doing one thing. It's hard to persuade other creatives, other other people that this is the current version of you. So I think there's always, I think that's the the nature of the tension. I don't you know I certainly don't passively sort of sit around waiting for God or whatever to just drop something in my lap. I, I guess I is it expectation? I don't know. What was the other tension you mentioned? Sorry. 
the tension was autonomy versus other people's expectations. Yes, I think that's inherent in any, I suppose, because I've done something that's very, been very successful. You know, I've been on British television with millions of people are watching. You know, I've done a tour with tens of thousands of people coming to see me and that's paid for my mortgage for a few years and eating food and all the rest of it. So obviously there, there's that tension as well, sort of commercial pressure to, to make sure that the projects are viable and interesting and they're going to sell, you know, there's, there's that. Versus what I'd like to be doing, what I did when I was 15, just sitting at the piano and noodling around and coming up with ideas. So is a con I'm constantly in flux between the two because you're I have to inhabit a space and you'll know this, you know, you have to have it inhabit a space where you're free to play, where you absolve yourself of any creative pressures whatsoever. All commercial pressures are out out of the way. But then there's this little bit at the back of your head going, Yeah, but it's costing you money to literally sit here in this house where you're paying the mortgage and, you know, da 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 and the lights and all the rest of it. I don't know how, quite how I would resolve that other than by suddenly becoming Damien Hurst and, you know, having having enor such enormous financial success. And weirdly, James, I mean, honestly, I don't know if I really, I don't know how well I do with that. If I'm honest, you know, my best projects are sort of partly driven by this question and this i don't know the the fear of the void you know like what if there's no project what if there's isn't something well i'll have to make something I, you know after i'll do something i'll fill that gap so. but you've just mentioned there sounds like what creatives do in general seem to face they want free space to do what they're born to do just to be creative so they need space to play but like you said they need money they need to pay for food they need to pay for the mortgage and you're navigating that space and you're scared of the void if these projects suddenly dry up and you don't have money to pay for your electricity or feud. Mm. So if we do take that in mind and I give you a magic wand and I say you do not have to worry about money, Gareth, you are Damien Hurst and you're at the last stage of your career. What is the legacy that you want to leave behind? What's the perfect Gareth Malone that you're presenting to the world? Well... That's a good question. And it's something it's not particularly in the public. I haven't spoken much about this in public yet, but um, I, I've been writing a, a large scale work for the last two years, um, which is, has been an enormous gamble, sort of both personally and financially, creatively, you know, professionally, because whilst I've been doing that, I'm not hustling for odds and sods of little bits of work here and there I'm saying no you know what I'm going to put up I mean all the way through lockdown a lockdown was kind of a gift for me in some ways I was lucky you know we were not affected by COVID at the time I was able to come out here every day put a shirt on and work so I sort of made this this big investment and I guess that's why I'm in a holding pattern because I'm waiting to see how the world sort of reacts to my next my magnum opus and my, <laughs> I watched uh, have you seen the film Tick Tick Boom I have not. It's a good story for, for anyone creative. And it's about a Jonathan Larson, who's the, the composer of Rent, who spent years writing, he spent eight years writing a musical. And Stephen Sondheim comes to the, uh, you know, the, there's like a little workshop performance of it. Stephen Sondheim comes and he really likes the piece, but nobody wants to produce it. It's too complicated. And he has to go away and write another piece. Um, and there's a very nice moment in, in the film where the where his agent says to him, you know, I, I think next time you should write what you know. And he goes off and he writes what he knows and it becomes Rent. And then at the end, of course, I mean, it's a very it's, it's a sad story and it's a very well-known story that he, he died like opening night or something, like, something horrendous like that, it, like the first day that Rent w was produced. So he never got to see the, I mean, absolutely stellar success of that project. Anyway, so I, but it's interesting because I, I just I, I really empathise with the character that you kind of I've made this gamble to to spend a lot of time on my own creativity and and before I started on this large scale work, you know, I spent a lot of time on music production and practicing and you you have to do that. I have sometimes I have to say to myself, okay, I spent the entire day writing a song, and nothing's going to happen with it. You know, it's not going to be released. It's 
probably it's not very good, <laughs> you know, or it's just not quite right for anything, you know. But I feel like I have to do that. You have to practice, you have to hone, and you have to gamble. Uh, so that's that's kind of the essence of where I'm at with this this holding pattern. It's just a sort of wait and see and wait and see what happens. You mentioned the word gamble twice and you mentioned the word holding pattern. Yeah. Can I just flip the scenario? Yeah. Say so you're saying you've done something that you've not mentioned to the public. You've written a musical and you've spent two years doing that. And it sounds like from what you're saying, you don't have confidence in what you've done because you don't know if people would like the songs that you're writing. Can I just drill down on what's the rationale behind this lack of confidence? I mean, I think everyone, everyone who's creative, like not every single thing that falls out of your pen is gold, you know? Is it a lack of confidence? No, because I think I've got enough, I don't know, brazen self-confidence to think that I could do it in the first place. But there is always that query at the back of your mind, you know, when you embark on any creative endeavour as to where, where it's going to go and how it's going to be perceived. I think where the, the stuff that I was doing before, I knew the rules more. In my first series, I had a feeling of going off into the, the wilderness. I li literally, you know, I had no idea. what We didn't know what we were making. Um, and the second one to a degree as well, although I'd been around the block once. And it got to the point with the television projects where I was in a very comfortable relationship with the art form, with the with the medium. You know, I, I knew it. And I think what's been interesting here is that I'm, I'm learning new rules. You know, I'm doing I'm doing something that is really challenging to me. It's new. I mean, although I, I like it, this hasn't come out of nowhere, you know, this is something I've been working towards for, for a really long time. But nonetheless, there are new challenges. So I think it would be cocky to just imagine that I was, you know, obviously I'm going to be just brilliant at it. But I'm, you know, self-aware enough to, to have asked for assistance and play things to people. And, but nonetheless, you you know, and it's had a good reaction. Nonetheless, there's a, an uncertainty about it, you know. Weirdly, I, I kind of like being in that space, you know, of not absolutely knowing what the answers are. And, you know, I found, especially over, I've been writing solidly now for about five years. I've done various projects, like I wrote a children's book, uh, a music book uh, for schools. Um, I did an album after my daughter was born. Uh, I did a album of, of piano music. And now I've just done this, this large scale project. And I found that I've got better at being uncertain I suppose and just being cre creatively uncertain and asking myself the questions I got better at not pushing too hard at the door just trying to find the answers it's a strange balance isn't it you know sometimes I'll come out here on a Monday morning you know and I've had the whole weekend it's building up a head of steam and I'm thinking right Monday morning let's crack on let's get that creative stuff flowing and I come out here and think oh no I've I haven't got it today. There's nothing there, and I, I, I've got better at knowing how to sort of navigate that that creative energy. So the issue isn't confidence. You've had input from other people, and the feedback's been positive, which is great. And you like being in this unknown space. You mentioned the wilderness before projects, and you're quite comfortable with that. And it sounds like you're also comfortable with the ebbs and flows that happen with creativity. So if you go back to the main purpose of this coaching session, what is it that you want to achieve and what is the actual thing that you're trying to solve, Gareth? The, the issue of life, isn't it? It's the, what is the issue? I, I suppose I am kind of on the road to solving it. I feel like I'm really just hoping against hope that the next few things that I do sort of sufficiently move, move me to where I want to be, which is, I don't know, like, you know, full-time writing that's, that's that's paying. Of course, hopefully, you know, touching wood, still some television projects, but very much like shifting the perception of me towards writing and mu being a, a sort of all-round musician completely, I think is where, I, that's where I'd like to be, if I'm honest. It's not impossible and it's not, I'm certainly taking steps in. I'm definitely not in a place where I, I haven't done anything about it. But I, I think to articulate it, that's, that's where I'd like to be. Sorry? It's to be Lin-Manuel Miranda. Lin-Manuel? 
Lin-Manuel Morales, the writer, of, the composer of Hamilton. Okay, is that your goal? I do have a sort of vision of myself in a room with lots and lots of creative people performing my work that I find very pleasing to think about. <laughs> I've had moments of that. I had a really nice moment a few years ago where I'd composed a couple of pieces and we performed with the Bournemouth Symphony Orchestra at the Royal Albert Hall and I was I played piano and they there were what 150 singers and a 60 piece orchestra all playing the notes that I that I had written and it were, but it was very short lived you know but that the high of that the excitement of that and the satisfaction of that was immense and I think I'm just sort of trying to get to a place where that's happening on a on a more regular basis I think I do that across all the projects I think I've realised that actually it's the writing part and it's the creative part that I that I like best. Your ideal lifestyle, Ben, will be writing and having lots of people around you playing the notes that you've written. What options do you have to make that more of a feature in your life? What are the options? I mean, initially I was sort of doing this on my own and then i was starting to sort of talk more about writing to you know other a few chosen friends and other singers i suppose this is coming back to this permission word that that i used earlier i had to give myself permission i then had to sort of seek permission to go off and be creative and write from other people and work with other people and and hopefully sort of gain their approval then then i guess with the te- with the television programs I, i've had to sort of do that I suppose there's sort of industry. There's a kind of industry approval that I would like. I think that's the, that's probably the final, the final step. Getting the music manager, the music lawyer, the you know all of those things that go with having a sort of portfolio compositional media career. Leaving aside all the permissions and all the approvals, after this conversation, what practical steps can you take? to make that a reality? I mean, I suppose it's about constantly renewing the, you know, the contract I have with myself, if you like. You know, it's constantly going, right, okay. I mean, even this morning, you know, I, I dropped the kids at school and I came back and I thought, oh, I just I can't quite decide which bit to do next. It's good to have this conversation because I think actually the literal next step after this will be to open the file up (laughs) where the piece of work is and I think that even that simple act is sometimes really complicated you know just opening opening the blank piece of paper and going right what's my way in here and there's a tension between that and and then pushing things out into the outside world you have to push your projects out when you don't even know what they are yet when they're not even finished because you've got to be thinking ahead Right. I guess that the steps are to keep contacting the people who might be able to help me, you know, the, the music directors, the directors, the producers, all of those things. So it's to continue with that hard. It's a hard sell, isn't it? It's like I've done this thing and it's me and I'm doing this and I know you didn't know that I did this, but I'm doing it anyway. Um, so continuing that sell. And I know that that's going to have to sort of go quite public. At some point, it's going to be there's going to be a moment where it's like, oh, Gareth does that, and I'm sort of preparing myself for that eventuality. That's sort of the public side of it, and then there's a personal side of like, right, I've actually got to, I'm just about to start on draft two, so I'm like rolling my sleeves up and I'm opening it up, and I'm working out what the hell the next step is, which of course is really difficult and really complicated, and you know it's going to require loads and loads and loads of work. So I was just sort of dotting. I think that's. Kind of, that's going to be the next few months, probably just sort of dotting between the two. Do you have a pen and paper to hand? Excellent. I invite you, I obviously can't force you, but I invite you to write down the dates of when you're going to contact these people. You shall. No, I, I do. I like the way you said, do you want to, though, because that's very... Um... That's it. That's what coaching's about. I can't tell you what to do. It's all driven by you guys. That's good. It's... Um... I recognise that way of, of dealing with of, of people management. Excellent. So obviously I don't want you to tell me who you're going to contact because that's all confidential information. But I invite you to write down the names of the people you want to reach out to 
and what you want to say to them. Yeah, you know what? That's a very that I like that. That's a really good idea because I have a couple of really high-profile contacts that you know people that I've worked with doing it already, who I have not yet called. Um, and I think actually that is probably the final piece in the jigsaw is being ready. You know those those big high level that kind of final scrutiny. And I don't know if the work. That, yeah, there probably is a confidence issue there. I, I, I mean, I genuinely don't think it's the right time at the moment because it isn't quite there. I'm still only, I've done draft one. What I've done is I've sent the work to the people who with whom I feel safe at the moment. And then I've gone, well, I'll just go to the, the next level, which is the, sort of the agent. and the, So that's where I'm at. I would say that ideally by September, I would have enough confidence in this work you know, hopefully by then on to sort of draft two, maybe even nudging three, that at that point that I'm starting to like like put my hand out really publicly and go, this is what's happening and making those then making those calls. And again, with your permission, can I just challenge you a bit there because you mentioned the word hopefully, and there's a bit of tentativeness when you bring up the confidence. You know why I said hopefully? Because COVID keeps coming along. I lost eight weeks. Literally, it's like, please God, something else doesn't happen that that stops me doing. Because honestly, I'm so obsessed with it that I would just stay out here and do the whole thing all the time. But I know that that's actually n- not conducive to it going well. Because <laughs> actually, you can't do that. You've got it's a weird. You have to live as well, don't you? Because you've got to bring your life into the pit, into the work. So no, when I say hopefully, I. I don't doubt my own tenacity. That's that is for sure. I'm certainly not lazy. I I am fighting to find to carve out time to justify the time. Like here I am today. You know, to even even being here now talking to you, I'm like aware that that's you know, uh, although useful though it is, it's time out of doing the thing. There are plenty of other things that are taking me away from from literally just sitting here with a pen and paper. But there is a, you know, you're absolutely right. There is a confidence issue, definitely, because I'm sort of, yeah, every time you send, send out your work, it's really hard. You know, you've written something. It's it's more, I don't have this with television because I'm just being me and I'm just talking, right? And I've never had a problem with that. I have no, like, I you know, somebody else edits it, so I'm not really to blame, <laughs> you know, if people don't like that. I'm doing my work, I'm doing my best in the moment, and then it's sort of, it's kind of gone. Whereas there's something about writing that has a, it's permanent, right? I mean, you, painting's the same, isn't it? You're making something and it's like, look, it's it's there. It's on a bit of paper. Can I just question that perception? How would it work if you use the same perception that you have for TV towards your writing? Yeah, you, 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 I suppose you're right. I think maybe I just, when I started doing television, I was younger and I maybe thought less about it. And I've had 15 years to analyse the process of it and get used to the process. I think I took a huge gap in my writing and I'm sort of only just getting to this level where I'm writing, where, you know, I'm writing at this level now. So I guess I'm just sort of catching up to how that works, really. But yeah, maybe, maybe I should worry less about about it. <laughs> I was actually going to say, to what extent are you overthinking things with the writing? Whereas for TV, it sounds like you're free-flowing. I think that's true. I think there's something about the early recognition, back to the BAFTAs, that makes you feel like, oh, okay, well, I must be doing something right, okay? Um, I'd also done, um, you know, the, the kind of projects I was doing on television, which were about helping other people and coaching musically coaching them i'd already been doing a lot of and and quite successfully in in the arts world so i kind of came into television with confidence in what i was doing and then i that sort of continued i think with writing it's been something i've been doing since i was i don't know eight but it's always been i don't know it's just always been something that has just been more private slightly to the side well no not maybe not slightly to the side actually from a deeper place, you know? And I think there's something... Uh, and it's quite revealing, isn't it? 
So I don't, I mean, I probably am overthinking it, but I do, yeah, there's a, it's a big thing. It's a big thing to say, I've made work. And without giving you away the, the plot, you know, there's a lot of me in it to go back to rent, you know, write what you know. I have written a lot of what I know. It's a very, there's very personal elements in this story. And that's like, you know, that's a, that's a gulp because I'm putting it down. I'm saying, right, that's, that's me and that's my piece. And yeah, and I need to come, I put, I've written, boldly written September at the top of this piece of paper. And there's a feeling that actually when I do that, I shall be known, you know? Which is an interesting place to get to in your life, aged. I mean, I, th I, I kind of like the idea of that, of like, right, it's kind of, to some degree, it's all out there. I hope that that will feel really, really good and things will flow from that. So, Gareth, I'm just going to summarise my take on what we've discussed today. Please let me know if I've got this completely wrong, but it sounds like we've come full circle. So your initial problem is the public has this perception of you, which is just elements of your life, and that's not the real you. And you mentioned that your goal is a physical thing. Mm. And this is what I'm getting from this. Again, tell me if this is completely wrong. But it sounds like the only thing that's stopping you from reaching your dream of getting all these people around you to play the notes that you've written is you. Because you're scared of showing the public who the actual real Gareth Malone is. So that's the conflict. So you want people to see you, but you don't want people to see you. Well, it's a, yes, it's a, it's a, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? I mean, it, it's a funny thing about being in the public eye, you know, and, and uh, having a... Well, it's like, I mean, everyone has, you know, their best foot forward presence in the world, right? Everyone's got that. Um, you, have the, you have the you that sat on the sofa at nine o'clock and you have the you that's going to a business meeting. We, we all have that. I, I think as, as artists, you're inviting people way, way, way deeper, right? You know, and if you're making good work, which I hope to, you should be examining all the time, you know, and the pieces the the piece that I've written is very much examining a lot of these issues about work life balance, about passion, about uh, obsession with with mate with creativity is a lot of that a lot of this is in the piece. Yeah, you're inviting people in in deeper. I don't mind doing that. I, I'm I'm eager to do it, but it's just that I, I haven't. There's a little, I feel like there's a little line that I'm about to cross and I, I will only cross it when the piece is ready and it's, that will be the moment. You know, it's going to be 7.30 on the 24th of October to 2024. Hopefully the show goes up and everyone goes, oh, right. Ah, that's, now I sort of see that bit more what Gareth feels or what Gareth is. So I'm not frightened, I'm not... <sighs> Frightened is the wrong word. I, I think I'm just like aware that it's a big deal, I guess. So it sounds like you've got this vision. You know how it's going to play out and you know who you need to talk to. Yeah. Is there anything else that we didn't touch on today that you'd like to discuss? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think that's I think it's been useful to articulate it because I think it's um it's quite amorphous, isn't it? You know, these things. And, and you're constant, I'm constantly shifting with every project I do. Constantly shifting, constantly thinking, oh, actually, that I love that element of my work. And so I kind of go off in that direction. And then I go, oh, wait, what about this? And then I come back. And I've sort of done that. And I feel like I'm slowly finding a, like a clearer point of direction. And I think it's been useful today to, to sort of talk about that and think about how I'm, yeah, how I'm perceiving my own work. And I think that's the most, that's the most interesting thing for me today, the realisation of, how parts of my work flow and how how other parts maybe feel like they aren't flowing and actually the points of the reason for that is me sort of you know because it's it's a, it's a sort of getting in, getting in my own way so your creative process is a meandering thing and it sounds like you've got a path that you know where you're going to go and the only person stopping you from getting there in a linear line is you I mean, yeah, because I'm that's I'm on my own. I so I suppose that's partly why I want some collaborators because it's a it's a big thing, isn't it, to be a an individual creative and say, right, I'm going to make stuff and I'm gonna I'm just going to put all my eggs in one basket for two years and and make this thing. It's huge. Yeah, I think it, I think it is definitely getting clearer. Definitely, 
And that's been weirdly, though, you know, we talked about circles. Weirdly, if you'd asked me what I wanted to be doing when I was 17, I'd tell you what I'm now attempting. So strangely, it's kind of, I think my biggest issue in life <laughs> is uh, is being sort of magpie-like, like, oh, that's shiny over there and that's shiny over there, and not just going, no, the thing that I want to be doing is this. And it's it, in a way, it took it took success in in not different areas, but like the surrounding areas, to, to tangential <laughs> in tangential areas for me to realise that no, that's not quite, not that's not exactly what I want to be doing. Uh, it took that and then a pandemic to kind of make me go right this is what i want to be doing let's let's give it a go and see let's let's risk it so we've gone back to the gareth of when you were 17 you've been meandering all these years in really great places that made you very successful and now you're getting back on track to that initial gareth vision when you were 17 and you mentioned collaborators and you wrote down the names of those collaborators of the people you're going to contact. Um, yes, I will do that as well. Excellent. So from today's session, Gareth, what's your key takeaway? What's my key takeaway? I don't know. I, I, I've, I found it very useful to, to talk about, about this sort of, if I can call it a dilemma, or, or to articulate the pressures. It's a very hard thing to talk about you know, the pressures of my difficult life as an artist. Poor me, you know, with my nice house and, and all the rest of it and my, my, te- my successful television career. It's very hard in bite-sized form to be able to kind of articulate clearly what, what the pressures are. I don't want to call them struggles, but pressures uh, or the battle. And I think that's been, that's been really useful key takeout for me is is thinking about how my attitude towards the central work where that's flowing and how that's flowing and when it isn't why that might be um yeah wow that's a very powerful way to end today's conversation but what you just mentioned there is actually the purpose of this podcast and it's to show everyone that even very successful people like you have struggles that we all face and there's guilt because you mentioned there's guilt because you have this successful uh, living with a really nice house. You're on TV. People know who you are. Yes. I should just keep doing the same thing I've been doing, you know, like everyone else. But but you can't, you know, you can't. And, and anyone who takes the step to kind of say, and I did this at, my God, I don't know, I was 16 where I, was, where I said I'm going to go and do music A-level and theatre studies A-level and English A-level, you know, and I'm going to go and do a drama degree and then I'm going to go and study music. And I made this decision that I was going to have this almost monk-like, you know, a sort of quasi-religious calling to be an artist, if you like, of some description, a really, really long time ago. So I don't know any I don't know any other way to work really you know and I yeah you're right there is a there is a pattern there's a sort of you know oh I want to do that project I do that project I like it I learn the rules of it I go okay I'm not sure if I like that aspect so oh wait oh, there's that project and I go around and I do the whole thing again and I think uh, I've just got better at sort of understanding that process as I've got older but you're right there is nobody who doesn't struggle with with like what do I do next you know where do I go I've had this success I can't keep doing it in quite the same way what am I where do I go next it's a perennial problem thank you so now I'm going to go completely out of coaching mode I'm going to ask you a question that is quite personal to me and I think it resonates with a lot of creatives out there you mentioned a point in time where you made the decision to be a creative you chose theatre studies, music, and then you went on to study drama at university. And I've noticed a lot of young people nowadays are worried about making that decision because they worry about the lack of stability to pay for the mortgage, the lighting, the food. So what advice would you give to those young people out there? I think that that decision is something you keep living with and you keep having to reassess. At every single point, it gets way easier. You know, am I going to do this next thing? Have I got the the necessary tools? Sometimes no, but I'll get, go for it anyway because that's kind of who I am. You are entering a 
a life where there is very little certainty. You know, no, no one is handing you out a, a career for free. It's going to require you to ask yourself really difficult questions. It's going to require you to sometimes, you know, possibly be very poor for five to ten years or more, you know. But I think, well, it's I, I, I've heard it said, you know, of, ac of acting, you know, that you should only act if you literally cannot do anything else. Like if there's something else that you can do that would make you more or less happy, then you should do that. Because there's absolutely, unless what you want to do is born out of desperation and passion and obsession and pain and love and heart and guts and all of that, then there's no point. You might as well go and, you know, and I say this without judgment, go and work in a bank like my dad did, you know, or go and go and work at McDonald's, you know, whatever, because it has to be born out of that. And it's it's hard, I think, when you're young. It's a, it's a complicated question. It's hard when you're young to have the confidence to say that and to know that about yourself. That you absolutely have to do that. I was lucky that I had permission, I think, from my parents to just go and pursue whatever I wanted. But I did have to, you know, I did have these moments where I was like, am I actually, am I going to say this in public? That I'm that I'm singing and that I'm doing this, that's, that's, a big, that's a big decision and only you know. Wonderful. That's a brilliant way to end today's session, Gareth. Thank you ever so much, Gareth Malone. Great pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Full disclaimer, I've known Gareth for years, starting from before he was famous. We've never had a coaching conversation before and we saw sides of each other that we've not seen. He mentioned my creativity a couple of times as I'm a painter. I purposefully didn't respond as this session was about him, not me. There were parts in the session where I took cues from his body language and intonation to know that something else was lurking beneath the surface. One was the confidence issue. First he said, it's not a confidence issue, but later an aha moment came and he realised that, just like most of us, he is self-conscious, stepping out of his comfort zone and may be conscious of failure and rejection. Let me know if there are any other moments like this. You can message me on LinkedIn or Instagram. I always respond to messages. Until next time, 